super excited for this next Sunday School song. Again, it's uh, one of my favorites. I wish I could say it's one of my favorites because of the content of the song, but it's not. It's one of my favorites because as a child, it gave me the opportunity to earn a piece of candy at church. Um, but it's a great song nonetheless, and, and how it would go is every time the Sunday school leader would get ready to sing this song, they would ask all the kids to stand up. That's you. <laughs> stand up, and then they will, uh, then the Sunday school leader would share all the directions. And the directions are that if you can make it through the song, doing the arm motions correctly and the words correctly, without any mistake, for five stanzas, you can stand up and have a chance of winning a big biblical buck. <laughs> and, uh, and so we have leaders that are going to be ready. When you're finished, after five stanzas, if you're standing, I want to just, I don't want emails later, you get a chance of winning a big biblical buck. But we're going to give you an opportunity, and of course the song is Deep and Wide. If you're not familiar with Deep and Wide, it's okay. The, the arm motions are easy. It's deep, it's wide, and fountain flowing is like this. We're going to sing five stanzas if you can end. We're in Jesus' house. So I think we're all comfortable following the honor rule. If you make a mistake in the middle of the song, pastor excluded, just have a seat. And whoever's standing up at the end, our leaders will pick some people and give a big biblical buck. Are you ready, maestro? Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. All right. Now, I got two things to say. Number one, Larry, just because you're retired from education doesn't mean you don't get to participate with the kids. All right. But I get it. It's all right. I'm not going to call you out. <laughs> Second, you all are super good at it, so we're going to take out a word. Instead of the deeps, we're going to say, mmm. All right? All right, let's go. Mmm and wide. Mmm and wide. There's a fountain flowing. and wide. Wow, very good. Mmm and wide. take out all the wides also, right, and replace it with an mm. So a lot of umming going on. And just for kicks, let's speed it up a tad bit. Just add a layer of difficulty, shall we? All right, let's go. Mm and mm, mm and mm, there's a fountain flowing. And mm. Impressive. may need to sit down, but I'm not going to call you out like I did Larry. All right, here, we're going to speed it up again, and we're going to take out fountain. All right, so no deep, no wide, no fountain, just a bunch of umming. All right, and we're going to speed it up. Oh, okay, sorry, I faked you out. 
All right, here we go. Sit down, I'm not gonna judge. One last time, fifth and final time. Speed it up a little bit, and all the words are back. Sorry, Doug, I keep faking you out there. All right, here we go. Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Deep and wide. Great job. Stay standing and our leaders will uh, come through and pass out some big biblical bucks. If you don't get one, I'm sorry. I, I, honestly, I didn't think you'd be this good. So I didn't think we need that many big biblical bucks. But uh, so if you're not getting one and it's deeply important to you, just go take a donut next week. <laughs> it's fine. Say the pastor said it's all right. I got to tell you, go ahead and have a seat. That was, I have to say, the best that you've been yet at interacting with these Sunday school songs. Here's my question. Do you know what it means? I mean, deep and wide, I grew up singing the song, and I got to say, I was pretty good at it. I want a lot of candy in my day. But do you understand what it's talking about? See, I think there was another group of people, good Christian people who loved Jesus, who were part of a great church that Paul wrote a letter to to make sure that they truly understood about the love of God and the plan that God has for them. As if it's possible to be a Christian who loves Jesus, who's part of a great church and still doesn't fully comprehend all that God has for them and wants to do in the midst of them. There was another church. It's the church of Ephesus. It was a great church back in their day, one of the best. It was filled with people who saw God do miraculous things in their midst. They were a church that was so influential that their church and what God did within it changed the economy of their entire region. They had that much influence. But even good people who love Jesus or are part of an amazing church like this, Paul felt like they needed a reminder, an encouragement, something that they really needed to focus on. Let me share some of what he wrote in his letter to the Ephesians. I'll just read it to you. He says this. Um, he says this, he says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. We have redemption through his blood, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished. He flooded us with it. He goes on in chapter two, he says, you used to be, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our, of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. 
but God, big, huge biblical but right there, right? But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, then not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I mean, Paul is giving these great, powerful truths to people who should already know these great, deep, powerful truths. Good Christians who love Jesus, who are part of this great church, but Paul's saying, there are some things you need to remember. There are some things you need to focus on. And then shortly after that, Paul goes into this great prayer. It's one of my favorite prayers in all of Scripture. He says this, for this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ so it surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that already works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul writes his letter to his dear friends in Ephesus, good people who love Jesus, who are part of this fantastic, incredible church. And he writes them these reminders of the love of God and the plans that God has for them. And then right in the middle of the book, right in the middle of the letter, he gives this amazing prayer. Or Paul prays, I pray that God stirs something deep down in your soul. I pray that God does something deep down into your soul, that he would develop it, that you would comprehend and learn and understand, and that as a result of what God does in your heart, that you are full of the presence of God and something miraculous happens in your life and through it. My guess is if Paul had that type of prayer for a great church back then, my guess is that Paul would have that same type of prayer for a great church like us. See, I've said this before. I think, CVCC, you, you remind me a lot of the church of Ephesus. God did miraculous things in your history. God brought four churches together and formed them into one, and you survived it. I don't know very many people who can say that. You have seen marriages restored. You have seen lives transformed. I mean, God has done great things in your life and through it. You are known for your unity. You are known for your generosity. But even a great Christian like you within a great church like this, is it possible that Paul's prayer still has meaning for us? Is it possible that God still needs to stir something deep in our souls? 
that would open our eyes and see him more fully, that we would better understand his love and that it would do something so powerful in our lives that we'd be changed from here on out. That's the text I want to share with you today. If you haven't already, if you can join me in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, I want to go through this prayer with you. Because I'm convinced if Paul was alive today and here, he'd have this same prayer for you and for me. Here's how it begins, Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 14. And Paul starts his prayer, this, he says, for this reason, he says. And you're like, for what reason? The reason that he's gone into chapters 1 and 2. Because of the love of God, because of the work of Christ, because of everything that Jesus has done in you, is doing in you now, and wants to do through you in the future. For this reason, because of God's awesome power and plan at work in your life, for this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees. I submit myself. Man, for that reason, because of everything God has in store for you, Paul says, I know I can't do it. I know what I'm about to ask for is beyond me. This isn't a program. This isn't something you can just sign up for in the bulletin. This is something that God needs to do. He says, for this reason, because of God's awesome power and plan, for this reason, I bow my knees. I submit before the Father. There's two words in Scripture used to describe God in this way. One is Aramaic and one is Greek. The Aramaic word is Abba. The Greek word is pater. Abba and pater. They mean virtually the same thing. They mean this intimate relationship with God that you can call him your father. And I'm sure you've heard it. Many of you said, oh, you can call God daddy. You have that intimate relationship with God where you can call him daddy. And although that's true, I want to make sure you really understand what the term means. It does mean that intimate relationship where you call him daddy, but that term daddy also means recognizing his power and his authority and his position. It's not just snuggling up to Jesus, batting your eyes, calling him daddy and expecting a gift. When you approach God and you call him father, it denotes not only a deep intimate relationship, but also a recognition of his position and authority over your life. Let me give you some examples. Look at, at Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. You remember that? As he was saying, Abba, Father. Same word, one Aramaic, one Greek, means the same thing, but in the Greek, there's an article in between. It means Father, the Father. So the one I have an intimate relationship with, but also the one that I recognize his superior, his superiority and authority over me. He's my daddy, but he's in charge. Do you see that? He says, Abba, the father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me yet. Not what I will, but what you will. The apostle Paul used this same phraseology. Look at what he said in Romans he said, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, article, Father. Abba, the Father, the one that I have an intimate relationship with, but I also recognize his superiority and authority over my life. 
He uses that same phraseology again. Galatians says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, the father, the one I have an intimate relationship with, but also recognize his authority and superiority over my life. Paul says, for this reason, because everything God has done and wants to do, I bow my knees in submission to father, not just the one who I have an intimate relationship with, but one who is an authority over all things. And look, he continues, verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Paul says, I'm gonna pray something so big. I'm gonna desire something for you so big. It can only happen in the power of God who has all authority over all things. And Paul says, in whom I have an intimate relationship. And look what he asked for. He says, I pray like I bow my knees before the Father, my dad who has all authority, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. He would grant you, he would give you, that he would cause to occur in your life, that he would appoint something to you. I'm praying that God would do something crazy in your life. And look at this, grant you, it's nothing he's gonna have to scrape together. My baby, my 13-year-old, my son, youngest son, Josh, he turns 13 today. When Gretchen and I come, oh yeah, you can applaud for that. When uh, Gretchen and I are thinking about a gift, we got to, well, how much money do we have, right? We don't give gifts out of our abundance. We give gifts out of what we have. You got to pay the mortgage. You got to pay the AC bill. Good heavens, you got to pay that. <laughs> you got to pay the gas. You got to pay everything. Okay, now what's left? That's what we buy gifts out of. But look what Paul says, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. That God doesn't have to budget things out. He's loaded with this. He's not coming out. It's like, all right, let me count how many people come into the party. God's like, bring it. I got plenty that he would grant you, that he would give you according to the riches of his glory. He doesn't have to parse it out. He doesn't have to budget it. To be strengthened with power. That term strengthened means to be made strong, to give an endowment of power and authority, to be able to function at full steam ahead with all cylinders working at full power, warp speed. I pray, Paul says, before my father that he would give you something that would strengthen you, that would enable you to go at full speed. You think you're going at full speed now? Paul says, not a shot. You would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, in your core, in your soul, in your conscience, the very core of who you are. Paul says, Paul goes into this prayer, I'm praying something crazy for you guys. I'm praying that God does something in your soul that elevates your Christian life that you will be going at full speed. Man, you think your Christian life is powerful and focused and amazing. Now just wait, Paul says. Because of what God has done, because of God, what God is still doing, because of what God wants to do, Paul says, I pray. I pray that God stirs something so much in your life. That God does something in the core of your being that you'll do three things. 
That's what we're going to get to. Look at verse 17. Paul says, I'm praying that God does something in your core to empower you, to strengthen you far beyond where you are now. Verse 17, so that, why is he doing that? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And some of you might say like, what? So Jesus, don't I, if I'm saved, don't I already have Jesus in my life? And some people read this and say, so you have to keep getting saved. You have to keep having Jesus come in and they misunderstand this verse. Paul is not saying, I pray that you'll accept Jesus again and again and again. You need to understand that term dwell. The term dwell, it's made up of two Greek words, kata and okeo. Kata is a preposition. When it's used as a part of another word, it adds emphasis. Okeo means home, to be at home in. So Paul says this, he says, my prayer is that God would do something in your soul so that Christ may be at home in your hearts through faith. I was thinking this week, any of you ever leave your kids at home? I've done it a couple times, Gretchen and I, sometimes for a couple hours, sometimes for a couple days when we're super brave. I love my boys. My boys do a great job. Here's the problem. See, they're comfortable living in an environment that I'm not. They're comfortable living in a home where dishes pile up in the sink. They're comfortable living in a home when you finish a water bottle, instead of taking it to the trash can, they just throw it on the ground. They're comfortable living in a place where the trash can piles up. It's like a Jenga game. (laughs) They're comfortable living in a home where they turn the AC down to Arctic and then walk around with blankets and then leave them laying around the house. They're comfortable living in that environment. When I come back, now listen, everybody's alive. The dogs are healthy. I'm fine, but I'm not comfortable. I can't rest in that house. So the first thing I do when I get home is I pick up the water bottles. I, or because I'm the dad, instruct someone else to take out the trash. Because it's just easier to do it myself, I'll put the dishes in the dishwasher. I'll move the air conditioner back to 70 degrees and have them fold up their blankets. Like there's things in order for me to rest when I get home from vacation, the house needs to be in order. Not how they see it in order. The house doesn't need to be how they like it. The house needs to be how I like it in order for me to rest. Here's my question. Can Jesus rest in your life? Is your life in such a manner that Jesus is at home and resting? See, I think it's possible to be a Christian who goes to a good church, who loves Jesus, and still live a life that Jesus is not at home in, that he is not at peace in, that he is not at rest in. Let me give you an example. Take your thumb, put it in Ephesians, flip over a couple books to the book of 1 Corinthians. I told you, Ephesians is one of, the church in Ephesus is one of Paul's favorites, They're a healthy, great church. Everything, they had everything going for them. The church of Corinth, opposite. They're a mess. They had this situation where they had good men who loved Jesus, who were singing songs at church and then going across the street and paying the temple prostitutes a visit. They were accepted Christ, but they were not living a life where Jesus was at home. 
Listen to what he says. Paul's writing to them, 1 Corinthians 6, starting in 16. He says, Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one with her? For he says, The two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one with him. Flee immorality. Every sin that a man commits is outside his body, but the immoral sin against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. And Paul, just another way of saying, is Jesus at home in your life? Brian, I'm saved. God's forgiven me of my sin. Yes, but is Jesus dwelling? Is he at home and at peace in your life? Or are you dragging Jesus through the gutter of your life with you? It's not just the church of Corinth. You might say, okay, well, the church of Corinth, they're messed up. Well, let's go to the church of Ephesus. Ephesians 5.18. Back to the letter we're at. Just flip the page. Ephesians 5.18. Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And some people understand that term, be filled, as, oh, I got to keep being filled. I got to have a second blessing, a third blessing. Holy Spirit needs to keep filling me up, because then I'll be, that's not what the word means. The word means be controlled, to be dominated by, to be driven by. Stop living your Christian life by your needs and your desires and start living according to the Holy Spirit's needs and desires for you. Listen, many of you are Christians who have a belief and a commitment to Jesus and you're part of a fantastic church. Man, I think CVCC is one of the best churches. It is the best that I've ever experienced personally. That's why I'm here 20 years. Not because you pay me well, but you do because of what you have done in my life. Paul says, my prayer for you is that you, God, would do such a work in your soul that it would drive you to live your life differently. To live your life where Jesus is comfortable and at peace in your heart. Is your heart cluttered with jealousy? Is the home of your heart cluttered with envy and gossip and hatred and anger and this need to control? If your heart is cluttered with all of that, Paul is saying, listen, I pray for you good people who love Jesus, who are part of a great church. I love you, you're my friends, but I'm praying that God does such a work in your life that you'll commit to Christ. That doesn't mean that you will commit to Christ and be saved again. That means will you commit to Christ, live in such a way that he is comfortable in your life. He is comfortable in your heart each and every day. Are you living a way in which Jesus says, yes, this is a life that I love to be in? Or are you living in such a way that you drag Jesus through the gutter of our culture? First thing Paul prays, man, I pray that God does such a work, that God stirs something in your soul that you will choose to commit to Christ. But Paul's not done. We're talking about the love and plans of God. We know Paul's going to have more opinions than that. 
Verse 17, he says, I pray so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He continues and says, and that. Here's the second thing. Not only am I praying for you, God, to do a work in your life where you'll commit to Christ, but I'm praying that he will do a work that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge. Paul says, I pray that God does such a work in your life, number one, that you don't just commit to Christ and living a way that he's comfortable in your life, but number two, you'll comprehend his love. I love how Paul describes it. He says, you already being rooted and grounded in love. This is, these are put in the passive, passive case, meaning that God's already done it. This is God's work, not yours. You are rooted. You're saved. You're rooted in the love of God. You are nourished. You are growing because you draw strength and power from the love of God. You ever try to cut out a well-established bush? When we first moved into our house, there were these really beautiful yellow round bushes that I hated. Uh, how hard could it be? So I hacked away at the sides of it and just thought it would topple over and I'd put it in my greens waste can. Nope, it had this big mama root right down the middle. I don't know how far that went to China, I think. I think it just went straight through. And I had to hack and wail away at that big mama root just to remove that bush. Paul says, man, you're rooted. Like you are nourished and strengthened with the love of God. Not only that, but, you, but you're grounded you have stability. You have the foundation. Like you're not easily tossed to and fro by the winds and changes of culture. You're grounded. You have stability. You have a foundation in the love of God. All of this is done for you, Paul says, and that you, you're already rooted and grounded in love. Verse 18. So what's he praying? Verse 18, that you'll be able to comprehend and that you'll get it that you'll be able to grasp it with full strength that when it comes to the love of God, you become an expert. That you could teach a college class on it. Paul says, I pray that you comprehend, that you understand it. You might say, Brian, I've been a Christian 20 years. I understand the love of God. Really? My grandpa, the most righteous man that I ever knew, when he was dying, he was still learning about the love of God. He was still growing it still discovering it, still experiencing things in new ways. Paul's like, listen, he's praying this for good people who are part of a great church, who are already rooted and grounded in love. He says, I pray you someday you'll get it, that you'll comprehend it. And look how he describes it. What is the breadth, length, height, and depth of the love of God? These are my things, but I read another pastor who described those things this way. Length, the love of God is long enough to stretch from eternity to eternity. There is nowhere you can get away from the love of God. Not just the length of the love of God, but the height. The love of God is high enough to raise you up to the heavenly places where Christ is seated. There is no place God can go where his love can't bring you. Depth, one of my favorite. The love of God is so deep that he can rescue you from the lowest point of your life. There is no place in your life. There is no sin too deep. There is no hole too far that God's love can't reach you. Breadth, 
Regardless of how you feel, there is no place in this life that you can get outside of the love of God. There is no sin too evil, no length of time too long, no running from God too far that the love of God cannot and will not conquer. Paul says, man, I pray for you. I'm praying to God who has authority over all things. My father, who I have an intimate relationship where I'm allowed this opportunity to come and ask things, but also to the God who has supreme authority, who every family on earth derives its name. He is over everything. Paul says, I'm praying, asking, will he give you something in the core of your being? He will stir something in the very core of your heart that you will commit to Christ, that you will choose to live your life in a way that Jesus can dwell in it comfortably and that you will comprehend, that you will learn and understand the enormity and the power and the majesty of the love of God. Now, some of you might say, well, Brian, where do I go? What seminary do I go to to learn that? How much is it going to cost me? How long will it take? I don't think that's something you get from seminary. I went through it. I think Paul gives us a hint on where we can learn and comprehend the love of God. Look again at uh, verse 18. Well, let's go back to 17. He says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend, look what he says next, with all the saints. Man, you want to learn more about the love of God and experience the power of it, you do it together. I was thinking this week, you know where I've grown the most in my knowledge of God? Here with you. 20 years I've been here, chewing the fat about Scripture, wrestling with the elders, talking about the love of God to where we're trying to discern how to best walk that line of truth and grace, right? You give too much truth. You just toast people and you cast them away in guilt and shame. You give too much grace that enables people to just live like hell but still claim heaven. As elders, how do we reflect the love of Christ where we can give truth and grace? Man, I have grown in that understanding of the love of God because of my time with you. And I have grown in my experience of the love of God because of my time with you. Man, you have loved me and cared for my family in some of our darkest times. And when people describe the love of God, it's patient, it's kind, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs, it isn't jealous. Love never fails. Man, I have experienced that with you for 20 years. And like I said, one of the reasons my plan is to grow old, fat, and die here, and I told my wife just when, I, when my days are done, cook me, sprinkle me out back. Like, this is where I'm, this is where I want to just live the rest of my life, and old, fat, and bald is coming really quick nowadays. <laughs> but why? It's not just for the pay. It's for what God has done in my life through you. And my heart's desire is that you would experience what I have. And some of you I know have been part of this church longer than me and say, Brian, I still haven't felt that here. And that's what we want to fix. That's what we want to change. 
That's behind our vision. By 2025, we want everyone, 100% of our church, to have a spot here in worship and a spot somewhere else in a group smaller than worship. A men's Bible study, women's Bible study, a Sunday class, or a small group. And listen, I would love to build more of the other things. We're just out of space. We have no more rooms to start anything else. So we're starting small groups. We're going to start them next month. We've been working hard to train leaders so that every one of you would have a spot, if you desire, a group smaller than this where you can grow in the knowledge of the love of God and experience it the way I have. If you're like, Brian, I want that. I want that. There are a couple ways you can go about it. Number one, in your bulletin, there's a QR code. Scan it with your phone. Sign up that way. I know some of you are like, Brian, I hate those things. I get it. There's a card in the seat back in front of you. Unless you're in the front row, then it's in the seat back behind you. Put your name and your phone number and write small group, SG, S group, small Gs, whatever you want to do. Just some sort of code that I'll understand it. And a member of our team will reach out to you this week and help you find a group where you can grow in the knowledge of God and experience the love of God. If you don't like either of those two methods, you can go to the Welcome Center out there and just talk to someone If you don't know that, I think all of you know who Patty is at this point. Just find Patty. If you don't know who Patty is, she's about this tall and the fastest person walking around campus on Sundays. If you see someone like that, chances are it's Patty. All right? Talk to one of those. Paul's prayer. Paul's like, you're my dear friends. You're part of one of the best churches in the area. But my prayer is that God would do something, that he would give you something in the very core of your being that would drive you to commit to Christ, to live your life different, that you'd live your life in a way that Jesus is comfortable riding shotgun with you. Second, that you would comprehend the love of God. Man, there's so much more of what God has done for you and wants to do in you and through you that you can have peace and rest and be cleared from your guilt and shame and fear and worry. Last thing Paul prays, God, I want you to do such a thing in their life. Last that, end of verse 19, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. You may be filled up to the fullness of God. It means to be complete in, controlled by, influenced by. Paul prays that God would do such a work in your souls that every aspect of Christian lives would be empowered by God, reflect God, and bring glory to God. God, please do something in such a way that these Christians are full of your character. I was thinking this week, you know, we tend to reflect what we're full of, aren't we? I mean, my question is, what are you full of? Whatever you're full of drives you. Whatever you're full of compels you to move forward in a certain direction. Whatever you're full of is even the filter that you receive everything else. If you're full of anger, then you perceive everything as a fight. When you're full of anger, you respond with vitriol and defense. You might say, ah, Brian, I don't have a struggle with anger. How about selfishness? Man, if you're selfish, if you're full of just greed, 
It leads you to keep everything at a ar- everyone at an arm's length because everyone's out to get something from you. If you're full of greed and selfishness, it also keeps you out of community. You lack generosity. You lack the ability to invest in others because all you do is hoard. You hoard your money, but more importantly, you hold your heart, your words, your love. Maybe you're full of fear. Maybe you're full of fear. You just hug a tree and just tend to come, Lord Jesus, quickly come, and you do nothing. You just sit there and commiserate about your life and how horrible things are, and you can't wait till Jesus gets back. Paul's saying, I pray for you. My good Christian friends who love Jesus and are part of a great church, I pray that God does something so powerful in your soul that it causes you to commit to Christ, to live your life differently, that it causes you to comprehend his love, that you want to experience it and learn more about it because you know it will transform you and change you. And thirdly, Paul says, I pray that God does this work in your life that you will have this desire to complete his purpose. You'll commit to going through life being full of who God is more and more. And I know I talk about my grandpa all the time, but that is a process, my friends. My personal goal in my life is that I reflect Jesus a little better this year than I did last year. I don't want to go backwards. But my commitment to you is I'm, I'm working my rear end off to where I can reflect God better to you next year than I do this year. And some of you might say, Brian, that's impossible. I'm too old, I'm too stuck in my ways. You don't know my history, my past. I got too much pain, I got too much drama. I have too many counselors I go to. I don't have enough money. We have all these excuses on why it can't happen and that's why I love the way that Paul finishes his prayer. Just in case you think it's impossible for you, look at what he says, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Man, Paul is, no, he's, I'm praying for you that God stirs this in you. That God gives you something in your soul that you will commit to Christ in how you live your life. That you will seek to comprehend more about his love. That you will desire to complete his purpose. That you will be full of him. And Paul knows we're like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if that's even possible for me. He says, okay, well, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond. You don't even have to know Greek to understand what he's saying there. According to the one who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. I tell you what, I can imagine quite a bit. Man, that's what God gave. I can, I can think all day. God can do more abundantly beyond even what you can think. And look at what he says. According to the power that works within us already. And God's already doing it in you. Paul looks at his friends, good people who love Jesus, who are part of a great church. Paul gives them a challenge. I pray that God stirs something in your heart. Paul says, I know it's not me. It's not what church you go to. It's not what preacher you listen to. It's not what podcast you download, what book you read. I pray that God stirs something in your heart. It will cause you to commit to Christ, 
comprehend his love, complete his purpose. My question for you is, what part of that do you need God to do in your life today? I hope I have not ruined the song deep and wide for you. But I believe that's what the song's about. As a young child, till the day before you meet Jesus, may God do such a work in your life. May he stir something up in your soul that compels you to live different, that compels you to meet with one another differently, that you work to understand the love of God, but that you allow people to experience the love of God in you and through you, and that you recognize that God wants to do crazy things in your life, and it requires you to reflect his character. You need to be full of him. What aspect do you need God to work in your life today? Typically, I would close our sermon in prayer, but we just read one of the greatest prayers in Scripture, and whatever I prayed would be much less powerful than that. So I want to invite you, bow your heads and close your eyes. Have a moment with the Lord. If Paul was here, he would pray to God, God, right now I pray that you would stir something in their life. What is God stirring in your heart? May you hear it. May you commit to it today. Have a quiet moment with the Lord and Jamie and the team will close us in a moment.